You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Mount Pulaski Christian Church. Uh, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning, though it's definitely a difference from my normal Sunday routine. I appreciate uh, Mark's wonderful introduction of me, but I told him in the last service, it really sets the bar kind of high when he says such good things, um, so hopefully I can try to live up to that this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Wyatt Watercuddy. Uh, for those of you that do know me, my name is still Wyatt Watercuddy. Um, I've lived in Mount Pulaski for about five years um, and attended Mount Pulaski Christian Church the entire time. Uh, I work as the family consumer sciences teacher at Mount Pulaski High School, so if you don't know me, the high schooler in your life probably does. Today I have the opportunity to continue our study on family matters with a special focus on singles. Um, I decided that I should probably give you my qualifications so that you don't just think that I'm a talking head up here speaking gibberish at you. First, as it relates to preaching um, and teaching, I am a teacher and I am a Christian. That's pretty much all it takes, right? Um, I will grant that my message is typically 47 minutes long and takes place in a classroom, uh, but I can transition into a church, at least for the day. Second, as it relates to my knowledge of singles, I am one. In my vast research, vast research, over the years, I've learned that if you do something and do it well for at least 20 years, you can be considered an expert. Well, I'm 27 years old and still single, which I suppose makes me an expert at singleness. So there you go. In addition to that, I teach family and consumer sciences, which are a large category of classes that all focus on family matters. Um, specifically in my adult living class, I talk to my students about living single, as well as healthy relationships and marriage. This means that for the last five years, I've researched, taught, and increased my knowledge in those areas. Like I said, vast amounts of research. In fact, today I'll be sharing with you a lot of the information that I share with my students in class as it relates to statistics on singleness and marriage in the United States. Did I lose anybody when I said statistics? If I did, don't worry about it. I'm not going to throw a million numbers at you. Just enough to get my point across. If it's all right with everyone, I'm essentially going to treat this as one large class because that's what I'm familiar with. There will be one big exception. Please do not raise your hand and ask me questions. <laughs> I'm up here on stage. I can't really see you that well, and I probably couldn't hear you all that well, so it's probably just best if you listen to me um, and save your questions for later. Uh, if you were paying attention a minute ago, you heard me say that I usually speak to a captive audience for 47 minutes. And today I've been limited to 20 or 25. Hmm. I will try to keep my ridiculously funny, yet usually digressional comments to a minimum so that I can fit inside that time frame. Though I would ask you to remember that it's still church, so it would be incredibly rude of you to stand up and walk out, even if I go for two hours. It's mostly a joke. If I go that long, I give you permission to throw something at me to get me to stop talking. This morning as we talk about singles, I think that it's important to define exactly what is meant by the word single. Mark discussed a few weeks ago the, in relation to the word tolerant that our American culture has a way of redefining words to change them from their original meanings. My other major example, and my high schoolers will know about this, is the word hashtag. 
I have spent more time than I care to admit trying to understand how this word came into existence. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's what used to be referred to as the number sign or the pound sign. Hashtag, hashtag. All right? But common cultural references today have redefined it as hashtag. A lot of my students don't even recognize what I'm talking about when I say number sign or pound sign because it's the hashtag. The same way that the, the hashtag, the pound sign, has changed into hashtag, the definition of the word single has also morphed. Biblically speaking, though, being single simply means not being married. Uh, even if you're dating someone, you are still single. The biggest reason for this is because there really isn't any evidence that people dated in biblical times. They were betrothed or placed in arranged marriages and then married. Thus, anyone who is not married is single. So if you are unwed or were at one time unwed, I'm talking about something that's related to you. I'm pretty sure that includes everybody. Now that we've decided who the single people are, the Bible essentially lays out three plans for singles. The first of these is the short-term plan. This is typically a period of time when one looks for a spouse. Biblically, it would have been the period of time when you were waiting to be old enough to get married and your family was looking for someone for you to marry. In today's culture, it's a period of dating, usually lasting into the 20s and 30s. This is the largest category of single people, but it's also a shrinking category of single people. To, as both males and females become more career-driven and less focused on marriage, they're putting off getting married for longer and longer, and some are putting it off indefinitely. As time goes on, this trend becomes more and more common and more and more difficult to ignore. Gone are the days of marrying right out of high school, and gone are the days of most people marrying right out of college. In fact, according to Pew Research, the average age that an American man now marries is 29, and the average age for an American woman is 27. This makes them five years older on average than their counterparts in 2000, and almost 10 years older on average than their counterparts in 1960. So while this remains the largest group, it's steadily losing ground to the other two. Which brings us to our second biblical plan for singles, which is the unplanned return. This is when a person returns to being single after a period of marriage. This may be the result of uh, the passing of a spouse, a separation, or a divorce, and it's sometimes a temporary stay when the newly single person searches for a new spouse. However, it's also sometimes more permanent. Sadly, unlike the last group, this group is growing, in large part due to the increase in divorce rates. According to the Forest Institute, in the United States, 50% of first marriages end in divorce followed by 67% of second marriages and 73% of third marriages. Add those numbers together and find the median, and you learn that of all the marriages that happened this year, 63% of them are statistically going to end in divorce. It's not a happy statistic. As a result, there are more and more people returning to singlehood in this way, and more and more divorcees are choosing to remain single rather than risk remarriage. The other dominant way that people rejoin the single ranks is by becoming a widow or a widower. The majority of people in this group have reached an age which they, in which they do not desire to remarry, so many of them choose to remain single. 
This leads us then to our third group of singles. And the third and final biblical plan for singles is the long-term plan. This plan includes those people who never marry, never plan to marry, never find the right person. It also includes people that believe they're simply better off single or who were married and are no longer married and choose to remain single. First, before anyone dispels this theory as hogwash, the Apostle Paul actually speaks to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 8 through 9, when he says, It is good for a man not to marry. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. It is good for a man not to marry. It is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. I don't know about you, but I think that this means that I and the other singles in the room have more self-control than a lot of other people. While it might surprise you, this category is also a growing category. If we again look at the Pew Research Study, we find that the number of women who rate marriage as one of their top priorities has gone up by 10%, from 27% to 37%. I know that initially that dispels my assertion that marriage is going down, um, because if the number of women who rate it highly has gone up, then it stands to reason that the number of marriages would also have gone up. Until you remember that it takes two to tango. And the number of males that rate marriage as one of their top priorities has actually dropped by 7% in the same time period, from 36% to 29% of men. This has seen the total percentage of the population who are married drop to an all-time low of 51%, down from a high of 72% in 1960. This means that almost half of our adult population is unmarried, and many of them are choosing to be that way. They have various reasons for this choice, but the fact remains that for many, it is a choice. What we learn from these three plans, and especially from the increase in the third group, is that singles are a growing part of our church and of the world that our church is serving. So while you might think that my sermon, as wonderful as it has been to this point, does not relate to your life and has no relevance to you, you would be wrong. Half the adults in our country fall into the category of people that I'm talking about. Also, if for some reason that doesn't relate to you, remember that this is the only category that we have left in our Family Matters series that every person will at some point belong to. Not everyone marries, and not everyone grows old, but everyone is single at some point. So, you all have been, or are, single. Got your attention? Once we establish that singles are a large and significant group, we must also admit that as Christians, it is our job to be familiar with this group so that we can help them to be successful. Knowing what we know about singles, mainly that there are so many, the big question becomes, how are we supposed to live in our single lives? Well, as with most things, there are at least two schools of thought on that. And the first one is the world's plan. The world's plan says that as a single, you should do whatever suits you. After all, you're single, and you should play the field. While you aren't tied down by family, it's all about you. 
Television, movies, and media all tell us the world's view about what the single life should be. It's a time of exploration and exploitation, a time to experiment and take risks, a time to put yourself out there and have fun, and quite honestly, a time to party, have sex, and ignore the possible consequences. If you don't believe me, you need look no further than television shows and movies like The Jersey Shore, Teen Mom, and Friends with Benefits, or almost any popular song or music video. I will not go into graphic detail, but I will say that the media begins at a young age indoctrinating American youth with what it wants to project as the normal and expected behaviors of young single adults. If you have elected to allow the media to raise your child, they will likely fall into this group who believes that their time as a single person is designed to be a time that's all about them, a time of self-centered, self-indulgence that serves only to bring them excitement and pleasure. If, however, there is a world plan, there must be some sort of counterbalance, and as Christians, we call that God's plan. Where the world's plan is laid out in popular media and movies, God's plan is laid out in the Bible. We are first instructed as Christian singles to avoid sexual immorality, like fornication, adultery, debauchery, prostitution, and many more, in passages like Mark 7.20 and Galatians 5.19. Actually, we're not just called to avoid it. In Philippians 2, verses 14 through 15, it says, "...become blameless and pure." Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe. We're not simply called to avoid sexual immorality. We are called to be blameless, beacons of light to those who have fallen into the world's plan. Connected to that, remember what Paul said in Corinthians, if you cannot control your urges, it's better for you to be married. The celibacy of the single life is not for everyone. Some need to get married, and sooner rather than later. I'm not saying that you should rush into a marriage just so that you can have sex, but I am saying that if celibacy is difficult for you, you need to move marriage up on your priority list. In addition to avoiding sexual immorality, though, God's plan asks Christians to spend their time while they're single and while they're not tied down, building relationships and serving the church. You are to use this time to build your faith and serve others while no one else is dependent on you. The church body needs servants, and single men and women in the body are the most free and available to fulfill those needs. If you are single and not serving, you are living outside the will of God. The whole reason that Paul advocated that people remain single was because in their singleness, they were able to grow immensely in their faith and do mighty works for the kingdom of God. In my personal experience as an expert single, I know how much free time I have. I also know that I, on more than one occasion, have faked busyness so that I could escape a potential obligation. In reality, though, we singles have far more free time than we care to admit. We fill it up with foolish responsibilities, movies, video games, shopping, and a dozen other tasks that are not really all that important. What the single man and woman needs to be doing according to God's plan, though, is filling their time with service to the church and the community. No single person that I know, including myself, 
is ever so busy with actual important tasks that they are unable to take a break and help stack chairs, lead youth group, teach a Sunday school, prepare a funeral dinner, help in the nursery, volunteer at the high school, or any of the other needs that could be met. This is what the freedom of singlehood is for. Singles, I'm not judging you. I know you have jobs and responsibilities. I'm one of you, and I have jobs and responsibilities too. I'm simply pointing out that the number of responsibilities that you have tend to be more limited than the number of responsibilities that a married person or a parent has. Also, as the preeminent decider of all things in your life, you're the one who chooses which things to be responsible for. I would suggest that you remove many of the worldly trappings and serve the kingdom by taking on some responsibilities within it. For this last bit of my sermon, I want to address two different groups that exist among singles and direct some advice their way. So if you're not single, I suppose that you can tune out at this point, but I don't know why you'd want to. I've been told that my voice is quite mellifluous. (laughs) The first advice are some biblical standards for being single and dating. These may be difficult to listen to and absorb, especially given the culture that we live in, but I assure you that they are important. First, promiscuity is not okay. It is condemned time and again in the Bible, mainly because outside of the solid commitment of marriage, sex can be dangerous. It can be used as a weapon to gain control over another person, and it can destroy another person emotionally if the relationship does not end favorably. Second, purity is important. It protects the heart and keeps you from giving yourself away piece by piece. When you enter into a relationship with someone, you give a small piece of yourself to that person. When you enter into a sexual relationship with someone, you give away an even larger piece. Also, the foundation of a successful relationship must be more than sex. And the only way to ensure that that actually happens is to exclude sex from the decision-making process. Third, proper equality is necessary. When you're looking for a spouse, look for a Christian. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Instead, you must look for someone that will help you to grow in your relationship with God each and every day. We feel compelled to allow ourselves to believe that if we date and marry a non-Christian, we will be able to change their heart. No one can change their heart but God, and he is trying. More likely, the relationship will end up fracturing your relationship with Christ and pulling you further away. And fourth, permanent marriage is the plan. If you cannot be faithful to a spouse, it's unfair to both of you for you to enter into a marriage relationship with them. Know yourself, locate your weaknesses, and work to improve them. Dating is not only a process of finding the right person for you, it's a process of helping to make you the right person for someone else. Each failed relationship is an opportunity to look for areas that you can improve in your own personality. The second group of people that I want to give some advice to are those who choose to remain Christian singles, meaning that they do so because they can and they want to serve God, not because they want to play the field. First, you are not a fool and you are not alone. Most of those closest to Jesus and Jesus himself 
were and remained single. In fact, Paul wished us all to be single so that we could fully experience God and serve his kingdom. I'm not saying that being married is wrong, but I'm also telling you being single is not wrong either. Second, there are people who are well-suited for a permanent single life. If you have no desire to marry and it does not greatly bother you to remain celibate and not have a spousal love relationship, it is completely fine and acceptable to remain single. Don't feel pressured to marry simply because it's the normal thing to do. And third, God is also a big part of singlehood. In fact, not having to divide your attentions can make him a bigger part of your life. If you are strong enough to go through life unwed, this is a blessing. There you have it, the single life in a nutshell. It's a, have to be a rather large nut, so we'll say it's a coconut shell. In any case, living single is more common and yet more difficult than ever. Even as people remain at this stage of their life for longer and longer, the decisions that they have to make in order to be obedient to God are more and more difficult. If you are single, I know the struggle, and I know how tempting it can be to give in to temptation. If you're not single anymore, try to remember what it was like and lend support to those who need it. We are called to be more than we currently are, but not to be more than we are capable of being. Singles have a lofty task of avoiding certain actions and dedicating themselves to others, even as many look to eventually leave their single life. This is achievable, though, by making the decision each day to be more and more obedient to Christ. Would you all pray with me? Father, I thank you so much um, for this day, for the blessing that this day is. I thank you for this church family and for the love that they share with each other and with me. God, I ask that you would be with us as we go into our weeks, as we go into our lives. Father, that you would protect the hearts of the singles in the room and that you would help those um, who have been through that struggle um, be there with them and stand by their side. Lord, we thank you for each and everything that you do for us and the many blessings that you give us each and every day. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.